media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Was your seat at this morning? Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. This is going to be a little bit different. We're used to kind of going through... uh, books of the Bible and kind of going line by line, line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, kind of, you know, that kind of a breakdown. And um, I said that we were going to start in Genesis this week. We were going to end up in Revelation in four weeks. And so it's kind of impossible to go line by line, chapter by chapter, word by word. We, we can't do that. But we're going to see, I hope and I pray, that God will reveal to us something in this advent, something in this uh, focus on these three words, how Christ was a rescuer, how he was the redeemer, is the redeemer, and how one day he will be finishing this final restoration that is taking process now. In many ways, you could take each one of those words and you can say that there's an element that has already been fulfilled. He has already rescued, he's already redeemed, and he's already restored. My relationship that I was an enemy with God has now been restored by the finished work of Christ. But there is an element in each one of those words of what is yet to be done. Some of the most famous of all theologians have said, you know, that Christianity is, is, a, is a belief in a faith of what has happened, but, but is also yet to happen. And so we're kind of in that middle period there, that middle time, when we're still anticipating, like Old Testament people, the promises and the prophecies of God to come true. And this morning, as we open up to Genesis chapter 3, we start with this First word that I want to give focus on for the next two weeks, and, and it's that word rescue. Uh, have any of you ever, I mean, just personally asking, ever needed rescuing before? I mean, like somebody calling 911 or something like that before. You know, you probably certainly have known people that have need that, uh, uh, you know, where you had to call the police or the fire department for rescue. Uh, I haven't. I, by the grace of God, I haven't. Uh, we were talking just the other day, a couple guys were talking about how uh, in reality, without the grace of God and the favor of God, we shouldn't even be here. Because not only spiritually should we not be here, we shouldn't be alive. How many of you can look back at your childhood, especially your teen years, and say, you know, except for the grace of God and the favor of God, I really shouldn't physically be here. <laughs> yeah, isn't it amazing? And so we were just kind of having fun. We were sharing stories of just, you know, the stupidity that we have. Sometimes and thinking that we're not that we're invulnerable and that we, you know, that nothing can hurt us. And uh, but I can imagine that there are several here, first service, second service today, that uh, you've had to call nine one one out of a sense of urgency, out of a sense of maybe an accident, a health situation, something that brought danger and peril ever so close. And so at that point in time, you call nine one one, you call for a rescuer to come. Well, this morning as we begin this Advent series, the main focus this year is is on those three words. And and this part of rescue is such an important one that I want to spend two weeks on it. A lot of times we will take the four weeks of Advent and we'll do four different themes. But this rescuing really is one of those that needs two weeks, in my opinion, because I think that we have a natural resistance. Let me just say, I have a natural resistance needing rescuing. Carly and I have had in, been in discussion this week on several occasions of uh, I, I've had a bum leg now for, for about a week and uh, you need to go get rescued. You need to go to the doctor. You need to do this. This is the wise and smart thing. I'm just stubborn enough going, no, I can still walk on it. 
And many of you probably understand that kind of exchange that happens sometimes between husband and wife. But but what it really comes down to is uh, two things. I'm, I'm extremely cheap, uh, so I don't want to go to a doctor. Number two, I'm extremely stubborn and prideful. So I guess that's three things. And they're all rolled in there together. Well, when we think about our spiritual condition, I, except for the cheap part, I think that we can really take stubbornness and pride as one of those things or two of those things that really keep us from this admitting our need that we need a rescuer. When we look at the Old Testament, we see in songs like we just did, you know, we, we see this anticipation. And, and some people did realize there was times that the nation of Israel realized that they needed a rescuer. There's other times out of their stubbornness and their pride that they tried to do it on their own. The word Advent means coming, and, and it's this coming of the promise of the Christ. And one of the words that we can use to describe Christ is a rescuer. In fact, it's probably one of my favorite words when I'm telling the gospel and sharing the gospel with children. Because children kind of get this whole concept of needing rescue. The, at least, you know, the, the fire department or a police officer coming in to, to save the day. I mean, we grew up on, uh, on movies and re- remember the cartoons where the villain would take the woman and tie her to the train tracks and, you know, and by the right time, just at the nick of time, you know, the hero would come in and save the day. We kind of like that whole rescuer kind of mentality. And so I found that that is kind of a relevant way to describe our need and what Christ did. But as we open up this morning, um, one of the things that we begin to realize is that our human nature is that we're not always good and perceptive of how much danger we really are in until sometimes it seems almost too late. In fact, I found a couple pictures that, you know, that at what point in time, and again, not trying to be silly at all, being very, very serious, when did this go from a casual day where the guy kind of went out there and was enjoying some really just beautiful nature and you know, the water around him and he's sitting on that rock and then all of a sudden it goes, okay, the, the flow, the current's going a little bit too fast now. I don't know if there's an edge there and he's about to go off the end if, if somehow he loses his footing. But at some point in time, something went from casual enjoyable even, to a point of, I need rescue. I need somebody to come with a helicopter to to lower themselves and get me out of here, or I surely will perish. Let's look at the next one. I mean, sometimes it's very obvious. You you had plans, you had things scheduled, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's there's tragedy. Uh, I would not show this, but the person is alive. They did make it out. You can see them there. But all of a sudden, you know, they, they were going to go from point A to point B. That was the plan. I, I'm going to be here, and I'll probably get there at 245. And then all of a sudden, the plan changed. And many times in our lives, our lives are like that. We just make plans. We saw that last week, that many are the plans of man, but it's the Lord who ordains what's actually going to happen. He's a sovereign God over that. And yet sometimes we feel invincible. Let's see that next one. I mean, you can only imagine if you were in a situation like that or your family was in a situation like that, that all of a sudden the, the turbulence of the day, the danger of the day is right there in front of you. There's other times that, would you agree that sometimes we bring danger to ourselves? Go to that next picture. Oh, go to the next one. We'll just skip over that one. 
Now, now this is, um, you know, I don't know what was in this guy's mind when he decided, you know, I'm going to get in the little tyke's car. I'm just going to see if I can do this. I'm going to be real cute. And then at what point in time did he have to admit, okay, call 911. There is no way that we can get this off. I'm going to need somebody to help, you know, bring out the jaws of life to get me out of the little tyke's car. Or this next picture. At what point did this guy decide that going down the chimney really wasn't that great of an idea and that he needed to call 911 and have the fire department to come out and rescue him from that? Or one last one. Now, this is a show that's over in Thailand. And I realize this guy is so much braver than I am. But I'm not a really smart person, but I'm smarter than that. Okay? And he does this show a lot, and he goes out there, and I'm sure that uh, people pay a lot of money to see, you know, the dangerous situation that he puts himself in. But this guy actually did, all of a sudden, the, you know, the crocodile alligator decided not to cooperate and clomp down on him, and, and uh, they did have to call. He did survive, but uh, they had to call in a rescuer, something that he had probably done 10, 15, 20, 100 times before. But on that day, something went wrong. Now, why do I show these? Because kind of we're like that last guy. I mean, how many times have we really evaluated our life that that we kind of do some things that are not just silly, maybe that don't make that much sense, but we've done them 10, 20, 50, 100 times, and then all of a sudden something goes awry. See, this need for a rescue can come in so many different ways. It can come physically. It can come uh, emotionally. It came spiritually in Genesis chapter 3. We go back all the way to the very beginning. And I've always told you, if you've been in our church for a while, you know that the, the verse that I'm going to, or the chapter that I'm going to refer to more than any other chapter in a week-in, week-out basis is Genesis chapter 3, the fall. Now, why is that? Because I'm just obsessed with man's sin? No. Everything changed in a moment. There was a plan, and it was a good plan. In fact, look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was average. So what it says? Well, it's very good. God's creating on day one, day two, day three, day four. He's creating all these things, and he continues to create. And then the masterpiece of his creation, kind of the the top part of his creation, mankind. And and God says, this is very, very good. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. So he brings about man, he brings about the animals, he's got all of creation, and then he says, okay, here's your buffet line. Here's Basically, you have all this to eat. Now, Adam and Eve, they did have uh, jobs, they did work. Uh, somebody's asked, okay, are we going to work in heaven? Uh, I, I think that we will, because I think everything that was broken by sin is going to be restored, and so there is going to be this element of that. But it's going to be a work unlike you and I have ever done before. It is one of total enjoyment. How many of you have ever put a a, a lot of work into maybe uh, uh, polishing up an, a car that was old, and, and then you you I mean you spent days just polishing and cleaning, and then you had that joy of standing back and seeing the finish accomplished. Uh, my wife has been working on some things for the grandkids for for months now, and uh, you finished I guess a week and a half ago. And it was joyous. I mean, number one, they're amazing. 
You know, there's so much love that she's put into these books that she's made for the kids. And I mean, every stitch and every little bit is just amazingly done with love. But they really are incredible books that she has made. And there's a joy. And I would say that joy is different from pride there. Pride is just this satisfaction in self. And this is joy in the ability to create. And I really do believe that that's one of the elements that Genesis talks about, that we were made in the image of God. God is creator, and he's put within us an ability to really have joyful creations. You may not consider yourself the most creative person, but there is this part of us that is in the very image of God that we have joy over creation. Maybe it's a, something as simple as a cake. Maybe it's as simple as coming up with your own recipe, and now it's the family favorite. Well, whatever it might be, there's this joy that comes from this act of creation. God has put a, you know, a couple drops of that in us. Well, here Adam and Eve, they're there in the garden, and uh, he, he says, you know, I've provided everything for you. You have all the pets that you want. At that point, there was not, I, I don't believe that there's a carnivore. And in other words, lions, you didn't have to worry about lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. You didn't have to do that. This, there's peace. And there's peace in their relationship together. And there's peace with their God and their creator. And there is one restriction. He said, you can eat from any of these trees, but look at Genesis 3.3. 3. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. I've had some people say, you know, I don't know that God was really all that fair in the garden. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, you know, why did he put something there that was restricted? I said, well, think about it this way. Let's just say that there's a thousand trees. I think there was more than a thousand. 999 you can eat from. There's one that you can't. And the other thing that God does right up front is he says, here's the consequence. Surely you will die. He doesn't say, okay, and something very surprising will happen where you're kind of living in that moment of, oh, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? No, he tells you it's a very bad thing. You, you will die. The instructions are clear. There's no need that God hasn't provided for them to have joy in life. And yet here's the temptation that Satan puts before them. More. More. As if God is not enough and all that God has provided, this temptation of more, more knowledge, you'll be like God. Eat from this tree, it will be better from the, than the other trees. I mean, look at Genesis 3, verses 4 through 5. But the serpent said to the woman, and, and if you're not familiar with the Bible, we do believe that Satan kind of is uh, in this serpent and is directing this serpent. And the serpent said to the woman, you sh- will not surely die. Now, not lie. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Everything was great, guys, better than great, more amazing than you and I could ever imagine. And yet Adam and Eve were tempted by personal pride and the desire for more. And in this desire for more, uh, a lot of times when we say that we're thinking maybe in that economic level or something, or we're thinking in kind of in a materialistic way, I don't know that it's that as much as it is more than what God had established them to be, that they were the creation 
And all of a sudden there's this temptation that you'll be like God. And they want it more. And they believe the lie that more than what God had allowed would be better. And so look what happens in verse 6 and 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened. Verse 7 is one of the Probably one of the, if not the saddest verses of all the Bible. Their eyes were open, but not to what they thought it would be open to. And look at the last part of that. And they knew that they were naked. Now, when we hear that word naked, I'm not trying to be sensational or anything like that. It's hard for us not to think about just nakedness. And we live in such a sexual connotation, a sexual world, that we don't put some kind of a sexual connotation to that. And I don't believe that it was really any of the of, of that whatsoever. The nakedness reveals vulnerability. Before this point, there was not a vulnerability. Every one of their needs were met. There was peace. There was joy. There was fulfillment. They're not vulnerable to anything. And then they disobey God. And the first thing that really kind of comes in is this realization of vulnerability. You and I live in a very vulnerable world every day. We, we clothe ourselves because there's a vulnerability there. We, we lock doors. We do this. We do that. We do all kinds of things because we realize that, the, that life is inherent with vulnerability. But with verse 7, everything changed. And I mean everything changed. Whereas before their work was satisfying and actually fun, now it was hard and sweaty and difficult. It's all right there in chapter 3. Go and, go and read it. Before they were naked and not ashamed. In other words, that they were not vulnerable. And, and now, all of a sudden, they're vulnerable and they're ashamed and they're hiding from God. Before they had the perfect marriage. I mean, Adam was Mr. Right. And, and Eve was Mrs. Right. I mean, they truly had the perfect marriage. Why? Because they were the perfect husband and the perfect wife. No longer. When sin came in, all of a sudden that vulnerability of sin and, and because of their, their first hiding, their first shame, their first vulnerability was even to each other. They realized that they were naked and they hid. They eventually hide from God, but at first they're hiding from each other. The biggest change in their relationship came with their relationship with their creator. This God who would come in the midst of the, the evening and in the cool of the evening and, and would be with them. I mean, can you imagine living in this Garden of Eden where God has provided for you everything? The, the pets that you have around you, all of these animals, I mean, they're tame. Well, how do we know that, Pastor? Go back and look. It says that Adam named each one of them. They came up to Adam, and he would name them lion and tiger. And, you know, he would give them names. You know, everything is just at peace. There is no such thing as chaos. And here comes the tempter. And here comes sin. And from that sin, brokenness, vulnerability, chaos, destruction. We could probably put about a thousand different words there, all of them heavy, and we would never begin to understand the heaviness of what happened there. 
Even if we use the most dark of words, I don't know that you and I could ever grasp really what happened in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, of where they were and, and where they fell to. Look at verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. He said, you will die. And at the moment of their sin, I, I do believe that their physical bodies began to age. Now, they lived for uh, this incredible amount of time, but they, for the first time, they knew what sore muscles and what getting older and uh, kind of having that pain in your back and all those kind of, I, I think that was the first time that they'd experienced that. But folks, this physical death part uh, certainly was dramatic, and we don't make light of that, but I don't think it compares to the spiritual devastation and the spiritual death that took place. I mean, we see things like verse 19. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread and you will return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, you, for you are dust and to dust you will return. Okay, you're going to die. You're not going to live forever now. And yet the real impact of sin wasn't just now they had a limited time on earth. It wasn't just that their bodies would start to decay and get older and not be like when they were created. It's this separation from God. Got a question for you this morning. At what point of this event did they need rescuing? Did they need rescuing in their creation? Did they need rescuing when they got married? Don't go there. <laughs> yes, that's when it began. No. Did they need rescuing because the, the gardens suffered a drought and they couldn't find food? Did, did they need rescuing because the animals decide that they were going to be carnivores? They're living in perfection. And, and I know as adults, we can kind of put that a little bit, you know, I bet that's kind of like Hawaii. Hawaii doesn't hold a candle, guys. As beautiful as it might be, it doesn't hold a candle because Hawaii is only a place. And it may have some really pretty things, but the problem here wasn't just their sight and their environment. It's what happened inside them. That's where the real destruction began. No, the rescue was needed when they disobeyed God and they sinned. Now look what happens at the moment. Look at Genesis 3, 14 and 15. There's a judgment that happens here. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above the beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So this pronouncement of judgment on the serpent, on Satan. Okay, look at verse 15. It's both a judgment, but there's also a pronouncement of hope here. I will put enmity between you and the woman, that is Satan and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head. We're talking about the relationship of mankind. We're talking about Satan. We're talking about all these different things that are happening here. He shall bruise your head. Now, who's he? Promise of Christ. Uh, there's really big fancy names for what happens here. Theologians love big long words. 
And basically, this is the first gospel. One of the things I want you to grasp this morning, how amazing this God is that we serve. The first sin, and then what happens just a verse or two later? The first gospel. Now, could the judgment on man be equal to the judgment that God placed on Satan? Could he have said, you had your chance. I put you in the most perfect of places. I gave you the perfect relationship. I gave you everything, and yet you decided to rebel against me. Out of your pride, out of that wasn't enough. And so you, in your pride and your rejection of my plan, you went with your plan, and, and I'm done with you. I gave you the best of everything. And so I pronounced judgment on Satan for his temptation and taking away, and I pronounced judgment on you, Adam and Eve. And in one way, there was a judgment. Now they would sweat. Now childbirth was going to be painful. All these things, there was a fall. They had to leave this place of paradise. But in the midst of all that, there is hope. I will send a son. And he will bruise Satan's head. Some translations say he will crush the head of Satan. What is this a pronouncement of? In this first gospel, it is a prophecy that God puts forth that there is one who is coming that will put Satan in a final place of of judgment. There is in this a hope that comes both that Satan will be judged for him, but also there's this hope that's going to come to mankind. That even though we are the ones that rejected Christ, that even though we are the ones who said, no, I I want more. We are the ones that went with our plan rather than following God's plan. In this rebellion against God, this spiritual separation that exists, God says, I have a plan to bring you back together. Now, what does this mean to us? This good news of the gospel, this good news that God was one day going to send a rescuer, a savior, who is Christ the Lord. But the application for us this morning, and why I thought it was just really a a need for us to spend a little bit of time here, is for us to realize our need to be rescued. I don't know that here on this earth that we're going to be able to understand God's holiness and so we will never see the offense of the greatness of the offense of our sin. I think we greatly underestimate underestimate holiness and thus we greatly underestimate our sin and thus we greatly underestimate grace. We sing a song, Amazing Grace, but I don't know that we're going to be able to sing it in full gusto, full theological gusto until heaven. We really do understand and see the holiness of God, see our sin and our depravity and understand just how amazing this grace really is. Until that day, we're going to battle. We're going to battle with our realization of our need of a rescuer. Would you agree with this? That there's times in your life that you have needed rescuing, but you didn't realize it yet. You know, you realize something was, I mean, that guy on the rock, you know, at what point in time did it go from a fun day 
in the beauty of God's creation to a place that I may not survive this. And imagine that there's days that we needed rescuing and we didn't know. And, and we think back to other relationships that we've had. We think back to other things that, you know, things that we participated in, uh, in, in former years. And we're going, I needed rescuing. But the last thing that was on my mind was needing rescuing. In fact, I thought everybody else there needed rescuing because they weren't having as much fun or they weren't enjoying this or they weren't. I mean, have you been there before? Where your eyes were so spiritually blinded that you needed rescuing so much and you couldn't even realize it. See, God's going to send a rescuer. But kind of core to this is our realization of needing a rescuer. I mean, call it pride, call it self-dependence, call it whatever you want. But we have this innate kind of thing in our sin nature that we want to fix it ourselves. Would you agree that you have that within you? I'll go to church. I've already been to church. I'll go to church more. I already go all the time. I will be a leader in the church. That's the last thing we need in leadership is somebody who is self-dependent and self, you know, doing that of pride or trying to make it up for God. Well, I'll try really hard to be a better person. I'm going to stop doing those things that God really doesn't like. We've all done every one of those in some capacity. And they're all a form of pride. They're all a form of self-rescue. They're all a form of, in one way, rejecting the rescuer that Christ was going to be. Truth is, sin is something that we could never fix ourselves. I I could do a long list. I I like the holidays. I like the joy of the holidays. So I'm going to leave it just to these three things. But I could give you a laundry list of the Bible's description of us before we come to know Christ. Let me just give you a couple to give you the flavor of what the Bible says about this. A loving God describes us this way in love. One of those terms, dead. Ephesians 2.1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, have you ever felt dead? I mean, sometimes in our sin, we're going, I'm more alive than ever before. And it was just the falseness of that. Somehow we were convincing ourselves that this is what life was until our eyes were open and we're going, no, actually it was dead. Dead in my relationship with God, a holy God. The Bible also uses the word perishing. 2 Corinthians 4.3 And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The Bible describes this as facing God's wrath. John 3, 3, 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I could go on and on and on. We're described as lost. We're described as enemies of the living God. We're described as blind. We're described as wicked. We're described as condemned. Pastor, is your whole point that you just really want us to make feel, feel bad? No. I want us to realize we needed a rescuer. We need a rescuer. And God promised a rescuer. We were not sufficient for the battle. We could not clean up our act enough. We could not go to church enough times. We could not do any work. The, the Bible made it really clear. A lot of people don't like that verse that says that even our best things that we would do are like filthy rags before a holy God. 
We don't like that because it's like, well, did, did, you mean it doesn't matter to God? It does matter to God, but we could never earn righteousness, rightness with God. We needed a rescuer. Genesis chapter 3, we fall from the grace of God's creation and all of his perfection. We've, we, we fall from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. And just a couple verses later, Genesis 3.15, I will send you a rescuer. Isn't that amazing? I mean, have you ever let somebody kind of just sit in their sin for a while to teach them a lesson? Well, we're just going to let, you know, you just go to a corner and think about that. I mean, a lot of us were raised that way. Kind of put the nose in the corner and we had to think about what we had done. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying, look at God. We'd done the ultimate wrong. We had rebelled against the Holy Father who gave Adam and Eve everything. And yet this promise of a rescuer comes immediately after their sin. But pastor, that was Adam and Eve. I'm not quite like that. No, you and I were born with the nature of sin. They had at least had perfection for a while. And then they left perfection in their own rebellion. You and I, believe it or not, were born in imperfection. Doesn't mean that, that God didn't have purpose for us, but we were built, born with the sin nature. We were rebels from the beginning. You ask my oldest daughter and son-in-law right now, and they will. Anyway, they always believed in the depravity of man. And now that my little granddaughter, she's spirited. She's. I just think she's a spitfire. I think she's just very determined. They would say, no, she's got depravity. <laughs> I mean, they didn't teach her to be rebellious. They didn't teach her to act this way or that way. But that nature's there. And what they knew theologically, now they understand personally. And little Miss Elliot needs a rescuer. And so does the sweetest angel and the most perfect of this and the most perfect of that. We needed a rescuer. And God in his grace and his mercy, Genesis 3.15, the first gospel, I will send a rescuer. Colossians 1, 13, 14, as we close. He that is Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we have God, the, the, the whole trinity kind of there. God has delivered us from this domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Verse 13, in some of your um, translations, it said he rescued us. That Greek word there, whether it's rescued, delivered, means that you were in captivity, that you were in this place of great danger, you could not help yourself, and somebody delivered you, somebody rescued you. And next week we'll see that. We're going to go through the Old Testament next week, and we're going to see what Moses and Joseph and David and a lot of these famous stories that we've kind of learned growing up, these famous stories, and how they all are a pre-picture of the rescue that would be brought by Jesus Christ. We just thought it was about Moses and the the Red Sea, and we just thought it was about Joseph and they ran out of food, and we just thought it was about little David and big old giant. No, it was all pre-pictures. 
that we were in great need of a rescuer and that God, in his mercy and his grace, but in his faithfulness, promises us a rescuer. And you can know that rescuer this very day. Step one, realize your need to be rescued. And I promise you, that's probably, I mean, it really is this hardest part. And that's where we just pray, God, will you open my eyes to my sin? Maybe you're praying for a brother or a sister, a family member, a friend. And they're just oblivious. You know, their, their need for rescue is, I'll do this, I'll go to church more, I'll, I'll try harder, I'll just stop doing bad things. And they just don't even see a need for a Savior. Prayer, God, open their eyes to, to their real need. Open their eyes that they need rescued. And show them the beauty of the rescuer. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. For we're not better people because we've been rescued. We're blessed people because we've been rescued. Father, you're the one that opened my eyes to my sin and the sufficiency of a Savior, Father. I didn't come to a dead-end place and go, okay, let me try this, Father. No, you showed me that I need it rescued. Without you opening my eyes to my sin, Father, and the sufficiency of this beautiful Savior, and the wonderfulness of this good news of the gospel, Father, I would be lost, (laughs) and I would still be in need of rescue. But Father... You opened my eyes. You showed me my sin. And you showed me that you had a rescuer. Father, today we pray for those maybe in our lives that that haven't seen that yet. Father, that you would open their eyes to the rescuer. Father, that they would see that self-dependence and and pride and self-sufficiency and trying to navigate life on their own, that they will never get anywhere, Father. It works for a while. It seems like we're succeeding. And yet, Father, we're so thankful this morning that in the depth of sin of Genesis 3, you gave the beauty of a Savior in the same chapter. We love you and we thank you. We thank you for a rescuer. And Father, we thank you this Advent season that you have sent Christ the Lord. And now we just sing this song to you, Father, in the hope and the blessing of the first advent and the expectation of the second advent as we pray all this in the hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.